and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and I'm so pleased I got to perform in a concert last week. Yay! Oh man, so good! I play as part of a small chamber collective called Artisti Combrio, and we were meant to perform a concert of string duos and trios in early November. But we all know what happened, England went into a second lockdown and we had to postpone the concert. We were very lucky that when we emerged from lockdown, we were allowed to put the concert on at limited capacity and with social distancing in place. But my goodness, there's nothing like a live performance to put the fire in your belly again after you've been deprived of it for so long. I've spoken about this before. We feel super prepared for performances now that they're so few and far between, highlighting how very much we used to fly by the seat of our pants back in the day. I'm not sure if British people say that saying seat of your pants because pants is quite rude pants means underwear here so i don't know anyway point is we used to run around a lot i have absolutely no idea how previously i would have prepared a one and a half hour chamber program including the notorious ravel sonata for violin and cello with my old schedule of running around like a headless chicken i mean i started prepping the ravel in august that's very difficult But we did it, and I'm so proud of us. There's a picture of me and my colleagues grinning at the end of the show, joy just bursting out of us, because you just can't beat making music live in the moment with your friends in front of an audience. And that's the thing, people actually came to our concert. We were a bit hesitant the week before, but people were craving not only live music, but a live experience. One of my favourite things is chatting to my colleagues and audience members afterwards about the show over a drink, just to debrief. It's a very simple thing, grabbing a drink at the bar afterwards, but it means so much more than that. It's the connections you make over the shared experience you've just had. And I can't wait to do it again. I actually felt quite sad when it was over. And it made me realise just how much I was fuelled over the last few months by knowing I had this performance to look forward to. But I'm sure there'll be something else to look forward to soon. Although, as I say this, I've just received a notification on my phone saying that London is most likely going to go into Tier 3 very, very soon. So we'll see how that goes. Nevertheless, I shall stay positive and realistic. Dun, dun, dun. Someone with a bit of insight on performing again during the pandemic is my guest this episode, Egils Schaffers. He's a Latvian clarinetist based in Riga who plays with the Carrion Wind Quintet, as well as being the director of the Latvian Music Information Centre and for the Latvian record label Skarni Records. Did I mention that he's Latvian? <laughs> we had a chat in late November 2020 about what's been keeping him busy during the pandemic, Latvian musical culture, and what Egils is doing in 2021 to commemorate Latvia's 30th anniversary of independence following the collapse of the Soviet Union. Have a listen to my chat with Egils. First of all, I was just going to ask you the pronunciation of your name. Yes, uh, it's Egils Schäfers. I have a German okay. last name. It's it's sort of a Scandinavian first name with a Latvian ending, but a pure German last name, Schäfer. 
Schaefer is my last name, but in Latin we have these endings at the end. So all the male names have S endings and all the female names have E or A endings. And from that you can actually look at the name and you know whether you're talking to a woman or a man. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Eagles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's a pleasure to have you here and I'm very happy to announce that you are my first Latvian guest on the podcast. It's a pleasure, Davina. Absolute pleasure. So, first of all, I have to ask this because 2020 has been such a funny year for everyone in the world. How has your 2020 been? What have you been doing to keep yourself busy during this strange time? Yeah, what a strange year indeed. On one side, uh, it was a big shock when all my concerts got cancelled. Uh, one after another, I was still kind of in the beginning of the year, hoped that maybe something will turn around and one after another. It was just full of disappointments. But on the, on the other side, on my administrative side, for the label, it's been an extraordinary year. Uh, we've been doing so many releases, so many recordings. I actually had to cancel my vacation in the middle of the summer because we just were spending so much time in the studio and, and it was very, very, very quick. You know, the, uh, we had some subsidies from the state coming in to support the culture sector, to the music sector. And of course, since oh. the public gatherings were not allowed at the time, musicians uh, could meet in rehearsals and in recording sessions. So it was a very, very busy time for us. I bet you feel really grateful to have that line of work during this year. Yeah, I could say I could say I'm very uh, adapted <laughs> because I can I can switch, you know, from my artistic side focus to a more administrative side. Uh, and and that, in that way, I'm really happy that I can do this. You know, I can help yeah. and be beneficial and be useful in the music field also as a labor, label yeah. producer. Yeah, brilliant. But you're also the clarinetist of the Carrion Quintet. And I saw recently you had some live performances. Yeah, fortunately, fortunately, we had a little tour in Germany in October. We were supposed to have another one in November and also a Spanish tour and, and many, many things. But they got cancelled, of course, when the Germany closed yeah, the borders course. again. But uh, there was a, this short period of time in the fall where we could actually perform for the live audience. And it's such a strange feeling when you have not been able to do the thing that you love for half a year. And then you do it and then you're just so grateful to interact with the audience from the stage yeah. to be able to play. It almost feels like, you know, you've been deprived of oxygen and then finally you can take <laughs> that fresh, fresh breath of air. Uh, and all of a sudden the difficulty of the tour did not matter. Waking up four o'clock in the morning to get to catch the train did not matter. Nothing mattered because we were so yeah. grateful to be able to perform. Yeah, exactly. It's like all those things which we used to complain about back in the day. Like, oh, I've got an early flight to catch and now it's like, oh, I can't wait till I get on a plane again to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, well, you must feel very, very lucky that you got to do that. So just to introduce you to listeners who may not know you, you're, as I mentioned before, a Latvian. You're a very proud Latvian striving to showcase Latvian music to the world. And you have several job titles. You've got several posts which facilitate this. So you are the director of the Latvian Music Information Centre, the chairman of the Latvian Music Council and, as you mentioned briefly before, label manager for the record label Scani. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, absolutely correctly. <laughs> Brilliant. So 
first of all, tell me about your journey in learning music, becoming a musician in Latvia during the communist regime. You know, the, the funny thing is when you grow up in a totalitarian regime and you live behind the Iron Curtain, you simply do not know that there's an alternative. Of course, yeah. I had a relatively happy happy childhood. I had very limited options to express myself art um, artistically and of course uh, international travel was not possible. I did not have access to recordings of uh, great interpreters from the Western world and we lived behind the curtain. We had limited amount of information. At the same time uh, music school was for free. Concerts cost really pennies. The culture really thrived. And I think from one side, when you when you look at this vast, vast field of successful Latvian musicians today, largely they owe this to this uh, education, the music education system that we had during the Soviet years. And I'm one of the products of that system. And of course, we did not have internet. Nobody was sitting and playing video games. All the kids had a lot of free time. <laughs> so they were <laughs> a lot pursuing of time to arts and music and, and ballet and, and sports. <laughs> so in that sense, it was, uh, you know, a happy childhood. <laughs> of course, there was this political side to what I learned later as a teenager. And that's a deeply personal story for me as well, is this oppression side. You know, I did not know for, for many, many years that my grandfather uh, was uh, deported to Siberia. Uh, he never shared that story. I, I know that he was tortured. He had a broken backbone and, uh, you know, he was suffering throughout his life. And he would never talk about why is that, you know. And only, only when we gained our independence back, my parents uh, did not feel afraid to talk about the side of history, you know, that um, family got deported to Siberia, grand-granddad got shot on the spot because he was a wealthy owner of a brewery in the country. Uh, so these, these stories of oppression, we as kids, we simply did not know. And, and that was a huge, yeah. huge shock in the 90s when I discovered all of this. And of course, it it came as a as a huge anger. It, I was just so mad and angry at the situation, and there was a lot of hatred, uh, you know, uh, towards uh, Russian culture. And I was to the point when I would actually uh, refuse to speak Russian. I'm fluent in Russian as well; it was part of my education. But uh, you know, I, there was just so much anger. Uh, but I think uh, also generally as a society here in Latvia now. We're growing to accept the history, forgive the history, and just realize that, you know, this is part of who we are and what we are. And there's a lot of people in Latvia that uh, are, um, you know, Russian natives and Russian-speaking people. And, and it's not their fault that, you know, 50 years ago there was a communist dictator that just choose to, you know, murder millions of people because they had different opinions about life. So Yeah, of course. As you say, like growing up as a child, you're, you're not aware of these wider world problems. And I suppose you could say that about any political society that you live in, whether it be communism or, or a capitalist society. If you're a child and you've got a relatively happy life, you know, you might not see the things on the other side that, you know, the inequality, the torture, the mistreatment of citizens. Yeah, you don't know what you miss. <laughs> You simply don't know. And when when I uh, graduated my high school and I started doing my bachelor's degree in the conservatory here in Latvia, uh, that's when when the first opportunities opened up to go somewhere else, to travel, to to uh, have education in other countries. And it was just so eye opening. It was so eye opening. And and a lot of us really 
fled and just like you know birds leaving the nest ran to the far places and I, I had education in Sweden and then I had my master's and worked toward my doctorate in United States and and you know there's a lot of people that just want to use this opportunity to run away to to go to explore the world to see what's out there but I think now it's turning because you know uh, especially I, I don't know maybe we're getting older when you have a family and when you have kids you start thinking about your roots and you start thinking about what really makes you special and so it's yeah. for me it has turned around completely I've spent about seven eight years outside of Latvia and now we returned in 2008 and uh, me and my my wife and my two kids and and we we just you know we're so happy here and like you're saying I'm, I'm proud to be Latvian and, and I'm proud to contribute to Latvian musical life as much as I can Tell us a little bit about Latvian music. How would you identify Latvian music? From my limited knowledge of, of this topic, I know that you have quite a strong choral history. Yes, it's true. Our, our choral tradition is very, very strong. It's probably based uh, on, on our big singing festival tradition. We have this uh, huge grand song and dance festival that takes place every four to five years. Uh, and, and it's a, a mass singing culture. It, it started smaller back in 1873, but, but now oftentimes it's like 15 to 20,000 people singing together in a mass choir. We have a special, oh. yeah, it's, it's, it's something amazing. If you, you can just look it up on, on YouTube or any other social media and just see how it looks like. It's, it's, it's just amazing experience. And we have a special outdoor um, place set up in Riga here, um, you know, for that festival to take place for those mass concerts. And just being part of that, it's a special feeling and, and of course that tradition drives the the singing culture here not every choir gets to participate it, you know a lot of amateur choirs compete to to have a, a place in in that mass course and also choirs from other countries in the world want to join in and they have a vigorous auditioning process and and there's conductors traveling around the country and examining those amateur choirs whether they're good enough to join this big choir and and everyone wants to be there everyone wants to get that ticket yeah. to the, the the choir and participate in this special special thing that is really unique and and also in the last concerts it's the audience also that joins in you know we have some folk songs that they're singing it's the aud audience joins in and it's just really a special manifestation of you know your 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 national identity it's a very very touching feeling yeah. that is the basis for the choral tradition but but not only if you're asking how to characterize latin music uh, you know, I'm very subjective. I have a little problem with this. <laughs> Probably a musician or, or a music critic outside of the field, outside of Latvia, would be able to characterize it better. Because, you know, for me, it's all so personal. I think a lot of times people associate Latvian music with music like uh, Peter Svasks or uh, Maya Einfeld or Eric Sessionwalds, which is oftentimes a very simple melodious nature inspired music oftentimes with a little bit degree of sadness to it uh, in some way you could you could say that it spans from this new concept of new simplicity like the Estonian colleague Arvo Pertz is a good example of that uh, but I think it's not just that yes there is some of that music but but there's just so much more 
we have a very good early music tradition as well. You know, Riga is, is an old medieval town and music was flourishing here back in those days, of course. And, and, and we have contemporary music that is really, really complex. You know, our newest composers uh, like Santa Ratnice or Anitra Tumshevitz or Linda Lehmann, they write very intellectual and complex music that is so yeah. much against that, uh, that Peters Vasks is going for. So mm. if you ask me to, to, to uh, characterize it in simple terms, I, I wouldn't be able to. I think it's very diverse. <laughs> yeah, sure. it's, a, it's a tricky question, actually, because I've asked that same question to a New Zealand musician. Mm -hmm. New Zealand, that's where I'm from. And I mean, I guess I wonder if Latvia, now that more Latvians, young Latvians are traveling around the world, and are they bringing back outside influences from other countries to their music making? Because I find this a lot in, in New Zealand music. Is a, it's a bit of a melting pot of different cultures and different voices which influence the compositional products that are coming out today. I, I think you're absolutely right uh, in that regard. Uh, it's, it's really happening. We can see that. We have this, uh, the composer that I mentioned, Santa Ratni, it's a, she, she's a prime example of this. She actually likes to go to foreign cultures, to Africa, to South America, and she likes oh. to embed herself in that culture and absorb the local sounds and colors and, and then to, to transform that into her own music so it's it, she creates her own new language that doesn't it's not african it's not latvian it's it's hers <laughs> yeah you know some of the musicologists here in latvia they like to say that those composers still maintain uh a kind of this latvian unique voice or latvian accent <laughs> in it in that <laughs> voice that that is so specific I, i'm not sure if it's there or not but i i think you're right it's really a melting pot today yeah, I think it does depend on the composer's individual upbringing and, and their own experiences, which inform their musical voice. But I think we're just lucky in this day and age now that we, well, normally we have international travel available to us, but we have this global sharing of different voices that can uh, really create something unique, like your own language, as you as you mentioned before. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's also the other side to this. I remember as a musician, as a young clarinet player, I used to be able to listen to a recording of an orchestra and by the sound of the clarinet in that orchestra I was able to pretty accurately tell which country the orchestra comes from. That's the thing with clarinet players in particular isn't it because don't you have like two different systems like the French system and the German system and they're, they're quite different and you can hear the different sounds? Uh, not not only I, I don't think it's only a clarinet thing I, I'm pretty sure I've talked about okay. this with my my colleagues in the quintet uh, they, mm -hmm. could, yeah, they were able to say that also with the other instruments I, I think that sure. the thing is that you know the schools were very distinct the French playing was so brilliant and the sound was a little bit thin the Germans were always sturdy and their sound was very focused and compact the British sound the British clarinet sound, like Reginald Kell sound, it was just so wide and open and has this loss of vibrato. And then the Americans with their darkness and darkness, always darkness. But today, when you listen to the sound of the orchestra, it's very uniform. It's almost impossible to say which country that the sound comes from. So in that sense, you could reminisce and you could say, I miss the time when the cultures were very distinct and you could actually right. see their unique colors. Uh, today, it's a little harder. but you know, who are we to say what's better? <laughs> so how would you describe your personal sound as someone who has traveled around the world? 
it, it really is a melting pot. Of course, I, I, I think I maintain the, the soulful color of my teacher here in Latvia, Dietz Baja, that was always very expressive, but I had a lot of years in America um, where I did my professional yeah. training and there is a lot of uh, overlay of the American clarinet playing school in my, my sound as well. Right. I'm intrigued that you said you mentioned the word darkness to describe American playing. So I'm going to have to listen to some American clarinet players and <laughs> sure. see if I can hear that. <laughs> but I think that's very valuable, isn't it, to have this versatility of different colors, uh, lots of different colors to your palette so that you can achieve a wider breadth of musical sounds, especially now when we're expanding, we're broadening our musical language, as we keep saying. So I thought we'd move on and talk about something very special that's coming up in 2021. As we're recording this in the last few weeks of 2020, looking ahead to 2021, which marks Latvia's 30th anniversary of independence following the fall of the Soviet Union. Now, I know as a record label manager, you've got plenty of recordings coming out to commemorate this occasion next year. And you mentioned earlier that you've been very busy in the recording studio, I imagine, in anticipation of this. So tell me about one or two recordings that you're looking forward to releasing next year? Hmm, it's a it's a difficult question. I love them all, and now you're asking me to choose one <laughs> to showcase. Oh, don't let me choose. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I think you know. Since we talked about this choral tradition, there is one. There was one project that that really I, I think is very very special. Uh, we have this uh, big uh, academic state choir, Latvia, here, and it's, you know, it's a huge, it's like 50 to 70 people in a choir, professional choir. Uh, most of the time they they participate in big symphonic works, you know, when Bayerische Rundfunk needs extra forces, uh, they often fly and, and, and do performances with them. It's a very, very good uh, big choir. And they had this uh, project. Uh, it's not only uh, that we're celebrating this 30 years of independence, actually we had a centenary. A Latvian state was established in 1918 and we have this three-year celebratory period with lots of activity and special budget for that. We had this big special song festival in, in you know two years ago and, and, and these activities are still continuing and lots of re recordings that I'm doing are a part of that. Um, so what this choir started doing, uh, they started commissioning uh, songs for new composers for a big choir. Uh, because, you know, we have this tradition of these uh, the choral songs and oftentimes they're more than 100 years old. But, you know, we also have to think about renewal and what's, what's going to continue this repertoire. So they started commissioning and they have commissioned 100 new songs for Centenary of Latvia by contemporary composers. A hundred? Can you imagine? A hundred. Wow. Yes, and they had, they had performances and they actually sung them all in the performances during these three years. So the project that we're doing that's going to come out in, in February, I hope I will not have to delay it because one of the singers in chorus actually uh, uh, got a virus and they had to go into quarantine. So we had to actually you know, postpone the recording <laughs> sessions. But they're actually recording that today as well. Uh, so we, right. we picked the 25 best of the songs from those 100. And so those, <laughs> those are going to be the centenary songs in, in celebration of Latvia's 100 years by contemporary Latvian composers for a big choir. I, I think that's going to be very, very interesting because, 
you know, it, it's very, very varied. There's a lot of different sounds. There's contemporary sounds uh, on, on the verge of quarter tones and really, really difficult. That's really hard for the amateur choirs to, to even pursue. But also there's going to be very, very harmonious and beautiful uh, kind of minimalistic and acoustically pleasing sound. So I'm looking forward to that recording very much. And I think that's going to be one of the highlights for the next year. That sounds great. Lovely. You'll have to keep us posted on that. I'm looking forward to a steady stream of Latvian recordings coming out next year and enlightening myself a little bit more on this Latvian choral tradition. I thought we'd move on now to the wildcard question round, which sure. you may or may not know about already. <laughs> so the wildcard question round, this is your opportunity to choose what I ask you next based on three topics that I present you. They're harmless, don't worry. <laughs> so first of all, we have, so you get to choose one of these, favorite hobbies, food, and what I'm listening to. Let's go to hobbies. Brilliant. Lovely. I'm always very interested in hearing about what musicians get up to outside of their music making. So tell me two things that you like to do besides music making. Hmm. I, I love the question, actually, I have to say, because, you know, I spend so much time with sound that doing something outside of the sphere of sound is, is excellent. Well, two of the things that I think might be interesting. One is uh, motorcycling. I started motorcycling three years ago and I'm very, very passionate motorcycle rider. I like to travel. I, last summer I did, not this summer, but the one before, I did a two-week trip to Norway in the mountains. There's this trans-European oh. uh, trans motor trail, uh, forest roads, small country roads that go, you know, on the, on, the, on the dirt. And you just spend so much time outside of the civilization and you forget how your voice sounds. You know, it, it's so funny when you go down to the gas station and you have to tell them which pump you used. <laughs> you've forgotten how yeah. your voice sounds. You haven't spoken for two days. And that I well, love. Well, it's Absolutely. a little bit like being in isolation nowadays, isn't it? Like you, when you see another person, you have to say something and it's like, I've forgotten how it's to so talk. It's so different because <laughs> you, you actually you, you get to move around. You, you travel, you know, in isolation, you're locked in one place. And it's a type of a travel that, that is yeah, very old-fashioned, I think. It's very slow, and you really immerse yourself into that culture. Mm. You meet with those people, and, and, and you stop, and you look around, and you spend time into that culture. Actually, uh, uh, the next trip that I did after Norway was uh, United Kingdom, a little bit of England, France, and, uh, and Spain. And also, you know, mm -hmm. 10 days just going through that very slowly, not more than 200, 300 kilometers a day. You really get to spend time with locals. You get to interact. You get to see the countryside. I like that slow kind of a travel. Yeah, yeah I think that must be very attractive because you, can, you get to see the scenery, you get to see the locals, and you get to see the parts away from all those really touristy areas that we're used to seeing around airports or in cities. Absolutely, absolutely. And the second one that I uh, discovered recently with my son together, you know, he's a teenager, he's 12 years old, and I feel that he's growing away from me. So we started doing something that, you know, we could do together as a dad and a son. 
And since he likes swimming, we picked up scuba diving. Yeah, we got an open water certificate and we passed the exam uh, last spring and, and we already went to our first uh, diving trip to Cyprus this fall when it was still possible to do that. And it was absolutely amazing. And that also has to do with silence because, you know, underwater you cannot hear yeah, much. Of course. You know? I feel like you're probably surrounded by sound all the time in, in your work and what you do. You just You just want a bit of space and silence in in your pastimes yeah. it's it's not complete silence it's just different you know because there's still sound underwater yeah. but it's it's very relaxing and and you get to see a lot yeah. of beautiful things you don't see usually so it's wonderful yeah so tell me about i've never actually been scuba diving but tell me about what sort of things you've seen like on your trip to cyprus what what kind of things do you see underwater there well, uh, in Cyprus, of course, the biggest attraction is the Zenobia wreck. It's the big shipwreck. It's a big Swedish ship that sunk there and it's relatively shallow. It starts about 22 meters underwater and goes up to 45 meters underwater. And the water is very warm and clear and you can see all the, you know, all the trucks that fell down there and you can actually go inside of the ship in the canteen and you can see the tables. And so that's a very interesting uh, attraction. But it, that was my first uh, shipwreck dive. And I, I wouldn't say I liked it so much as I liked the cliffs. In, in, in Cyprus, I think that's one of the most beautiful thing is it's just this, uh, the light of the, uh, of the sea uh, the very clear water and the cliffs, all the different formations and little caves and, and the relief. And it's just uh, wonderful to, you, you almost feel like you're space diving around there, you know, because when you dive, you, you are almost like in the space. You, you have no gravity. Mm. You, you search weightless. this point. Weightless. Thank you. That's the word that I'm yeah. looking for. So yeah. you just experience that. And then when there is, a, there is some kind of relief to go against, you really perceive that so much better. So mm. I like that. Wow, that's incredible. And will you get a chance to do more scuba diving during this strange year? Or is it something that's fairly limited because of the pandemic? Yeah, it's very limited. You know, water here in, in the Baltic <laughs> is about four degrees. <laughs> that's a little too cold. Oh, for okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> too cold for me. Maybe not super pleasant at this time I have friends that do that in, in special suits, but uh, it's cold for me. <laughs> you know, I really would like to go to Red Sea, but I don't think it's going to be possible this winter. A little too early, but I'm very yeah. optimistic with all those new about vaccines coming out so I still hope that by yes. the next summer we can return to some kind yes, of normality. Yes this is what I'm hoping as well because um, yeah I'm I really can't wait to travel again probably somewhere nice and, and warm I'm currently looking out to a very grey British typical British day it's very um, drizzly outside and I can't wait to hopefully travel back home to New Zealand to visit my family. I bet you could probably do some good scuba diving in New Zealand or Australia. I've never been there, but I would like to go. Excellent. I love hearing about musicians' hobbies. And actually, you you are the second guest I've had who's mentioned motorcycles as their oh, hobby. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So it must be some kind of common theme drawing drawing musicians together. Something about the freedom, I think, and uh, yeah, the, could be. Yeah. the very thrilling feeling. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. So where can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, if you're interested in the musical side of me, I would really recommend you to go and visit our uh, Quintet's website. It's carion.dk. 
a very interesting group. We have a special way of performing, and, and I think we captivate audiences with with this special way. Um, and if you are interested in Latin recordings, please visit us at scani.lv. Lovely. I'll um, put those in the show notes. So you mentioned carryon.dk. Is that Danish? Yeah. Yeah, Carrion is a Danish okay. group. It started out as a Danish-only group, and I joined them mm -hmm. when I lived in Denmark. Uh, I lived in Denmark for two years. Uh, I worked in an orchestra there, and I started playing mm -hmm. with them. And then, uh, you know, since most of our activities are actually international, we, we work uh, a lot lots of time in, in uh, Germany, and also in Asia, in America now, and in the Middle, okay. e Middle East we've played, and of course Scandinavia then uh, you know it, there was no big difference where we actually uh, operate from <laughs> it didn't have to be danish anymore <laughs> so if you wanted to just meet up for rehearsal where do you meet up uh, both uh, actually both places either copenhagen or riga oh, okay. yeah you know we have two latvians there a swedish flute player <laughs> and then two danes so it started out as a wow. danish only group but now it's a really international quintet okay that's cool and they are quite close together in terms of countries i suppose i mean to me, as in... That's the thing, because, you know, a train ride from Odensee to Copenhagen is two hours. That's where I lived. But the plane uh -huh. flies in 45 minutes from Riga to Copenhagen. Whoa! <laughs> so. Okay, see, as a New Zealander, that blows my mind that you can catch a train to another country, because you just can't do that where I'm from. Like, you'd, you'd end up in the sea at, at some point. And even a flight to Australia is minimum three hours yeah. or so so the fact that you can fly to another country in 45 minutes it's just you know it, it really is amazing yeah. and going back to that first question that you asked me you know how was it for me to grow up as a musician here as a teenager i would never ever imagine that a thing like that would be possible that i can wake up in the morning i catch a flight i fly to copenhagen for rehearsal and i fly back in the evening and I'm here by dinner time. You know, it, it, it's just unbelievable. It's it's really the the you know the world has opened opened up to such a degree that uh, you know we, I think we forget how grateful we are we can be, uh, you know, yeah. with the with the situation that we have now and with all the liberties and freedoms yeah. at our disposal. Yeah, and especially this year when it's all been taken away from us and not being able to travel as freely as we could have in the past, we're very very grateful for it now. Well, thank you so much for your wonderful insights on your personal insights as a musician and insights on Latvian music. You've given me lots to think about in that field. So thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Davina. It was a pleasure. That was Eggles Sheffers. Remember to check out the show notes for details of his work, including all the wonderful things coming out in 2021. Just a few more weeks of 2020, and hopefully we're on the way up. This week's Music College Didn't Prepare Me is another tale from our friend Jen Lang, who featured as my guest for episode 34. She's called this story, Up a Flagpole Without a Paddle, and it comes from her time working as a concert manager for the Church of St. Martin in the Fields in central London. Here we go. St. Martin in the Fields, as a royal parish church, enjoys the rare privilege of flying the royal standard when a member of the royal family is in attendance. The job of caring for and running up the royal standard sits with the head verger, who, in 2008, was a wonderful white-bearded vision, a St. Martin's institution of advanced years and superior historic knowledge, Ralph, or 
Rafe. I've had this problem before with Vaughan Williams. The flagpole is situated atop the church roof. So running up the flag involved a precarious climb and cross-roof stumble. A release of halyards, attaching the pennant via a complicated system of carabiners, hoisting and belaying all within a 10-minute window. The time it takes for the Royal Motorcade to leave Buckingham Palace and make its way up Whitehall, around the east side of the square, and up to the church. Ralph slash Rafe entrusted this task to the newest member of staff, a young New Zealander woefully underprepared by several years of performance training at music college. I thought I'd better have a trial run. What would be more fun than to run up a New Zealand flag, pop down to Trafalgar Square, take a quick photo of the Royal Parish Church proudly flying a colonial standard before popping back up and quickly taking it down before anyone was any the wiser? The roof was surprisingly windy, and the New Zealand flag surprisingly jumpy, corners flipping and flapping and the halyards kicking and jumping as I wrestled valiantly to attach each to the other. With a mighty heave, I hoisted a violently whipping bundle of blue, red and white skyward, where it promptly stuck fast at the halfway point, before slowly unfurling to reveal an upside-down southern cross picked out in small red stars. Good idea to have a trial run. It seems getting the thing the right way up is more difficult than one might think. Down it comes and we'll reattach and all will be well. In fact, it's terrible weather. We'll try again tomorrow. Down, it would absolutely not come. Neither tugging nor cursing, shouting nor coercion would budge as the snarl of rope, pole and fabric stuck fast. Downstairs in the verger's office, a phone began to ring. An upside-down pennant of indeterminate origin was flying at half-mast over Trafalgar Square. There was nothing for it but to get back up there and untangle the mess. Nowhere in the music college curriculum is shimmying up a flagpole in a not-very-long skirt on a windy day covered. At least, not comprehensively. Nevertheless, I made it up with the help of the halyards, and after a minute of violence, successfully wrestled the tangle free. Just at that moment, as the flag flew briefly free, it was met with a loud cheer and applause. Craning my head from my monkey hold on the pole, I noticed that the windows of the top of South Africa House, which nicely matched my current elevation, were lined with a sea of appreciative onlookers who clapped and cheered as my skirt whipped skyward, exposing a, thankfully freshly laundered, pair of Spongebob square pants underpants. I'd have waved, but I was trying not to add grievous bodily harm to my list of failings that day. I was not allowed to raise the royal standard when the Prince of Wales and the Duchess arrived the next day. I did have the chance to meet them, however, but that's a whole other story. Thanks, Jen, for that magnificent story. I don't know where I would start if I had to hoist a flag. If you haven't listened yet, I'd highly recommend you go back and listen to my chat with Jen in episode 34. She tells many a fantastic story and has been doing such incredibly inspiring work in musical outreach and education across the UK, Australia and New Zealand. Remember, if you have a funny, weird gig that Music College didn't prepare you for that you'd like shared or discussed on the podcast, then let me know. Email me at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. 
That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Huge thanks to Egil's Sheffers for joining me on the podcast, enlightening us on Latvian musical culture. And special thanks also to Victoria Taylor for her assistance in this episode. And as always, thank you for listening. Do get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at asitcomespod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for spreading the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye.